0: I don't know um, about you. I was, you know, singing up front here and just kind of trying not to sing so loud that I could actually hear the congregation. Did you guys hear? I mean, just every once in a while you just kind of catch the whole church body singing, you know, and it just sounded beautiful. Like everybody has a great voice, which. I'm sure we all do, but uh, it really just, I I can only imagine how pleasing that is to God. To hear, it's not a performance, it's a a congregational uh, worship that we're all engaged in. And uh, I want to remind you, I guess again, um, that even this is, is a, uh, give and take it's a it's a partnership it's a working together it's not just a speech you know prepared for you to to listen to it is a uh conversation um that we're having together and so um you know part of that
1: uh, conversation is uh, um,
0: just the the <laughs> I told the eight o'clock service. Um, I'm wrestling with this. Still wrestling with it. I I think I lost in the eight o'clock service, or won. I don't know which one is the the right one. But um, it, it's a, a sense of of urgency and weight um, and difficulty because you know what we're talking about is is the wrath of God, and uh, the the issue of the wrath of God is that it's such a serious thing to talk about um, and uh, not taking that lightly, uh, but it's framed in God's grace. And and here's what I mean by that. Everything that God desires to do is framed in his grace. He, he desires to bring people into a right relationship with himself. That's what he wants to do. That's his goal. That's his will. That's his, his heart. That's his character. Um, and so it's a sad thing and a disturbing thing when we, as his creatures, reject that plan in favor of judgment because that's what's happening. Um, When the wrath of God is is poured out on the earth, it is in response to the will of man rejecting God's plan. Um, And so everything centers around grace. From grace, you can get to almost any other topic or issue, um, teaching uh, in the Bible, because It is the centerpiece of of what God did in history. It's the centerpiece of what this book is about. Um, That Jesus Christ came as the sacrifice to provide grace. So from the position of grace, you go back and you see God is holy, man is sinful, um, but Jesus is the Redeemer. And all those things that led up to Jesus, and then from Jesus forward, you see that grace is um, it's the essential need of each and every one of us. I, I need God's grace on a daily basis. Um, and so by faith, I receive that. And then from that new position that I have, because I've received his free gift, now I have the indwelling Holy Spirit that is the living grace working itself out in me For the rest of my life, grace is defined as uh, the gift of God in order to be able to live the Christian life. So it's not just forgiveness and God just saying, "Okay, I don't, I'm I'm not going to keep a record of your wrongs." It's also the empowerment of His Holy Spirit to walk with Him, to uh, live a life that um, has purpose, meaning value and uh, uh, broader and bigger emphasis than just what I could accomplish on my own because he's living in me and with me. So it's a tragic and sad thing that so many people would reject that, absolutely, but also um, it's also tragic that so many of us, and myself included, take for granted the wonderful Gift of grace that we've been given, and uh, in favor of what, you know, in favor of I don't know what, just selfish thoughts, desires, and and uh, petty things. What uh, prevents us? Seth said, "What are you? What are you bringing to worship today?" You know, and he uh, read from uh, Romans chapter twelve, verse one, which is. Uh, that the the sacrifice that we give is a living sacrifice. We live um, a life worthy of the creator who made us. And oftentimes, when I come to worship, and this is such a problem for me when I'm traveling and we go to church elsewhere, we become... Critics of the service and not worshipers. You ever do that? No? And uh, it, it robs us of what, what this is really all about. Um, this is really about glorifying God. Um, and we, sh- of all people, should know what a wonderful thing it is to have Grace experience grace, live in grace. And so uh, my hope is, my prayer is that uh, as we kind of dive into this issue of wrath, that God's people would appreciate grace more, and that those who don't know grace would come to know grace. Um, That those who have pushed it off, rejected it, denied it, are confused by it, are waiting for something magical to happen before they accept God's grace, that, that, that today would be the day that uh, you or they or would come to that place where they would say, yes, I, I need this. Uh, why am I waiting for this? Um, so as we get started, let's uh, pick up our Bibles. Revelation chapter 15. Chapters 15 and 16 are about the wrath of God. Uh, 15 is kind of the prelude, and then 16 is the detail. Um, As I've said, we are basically going over an overview, okay, from a 30,000-foot level revelation. We're not diving into a lot of the details. Um, We're just going to take a a look at it from this level, okay? So uh, we want to see the major teaching here. In Revelation about the wrath of God. So let's stand and read God's word together. Revelation 15 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang a song, the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed." After this, I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness and heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels, seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Father, we thank you that you have a plan, a purpose, a destiny, Lord, for this world. And uh, the longer we go, the more we see, Lord, there is a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And uh, the kingdom of darkness seems to be pretty overwhelming uh, a lot of the time, Lord, we, uh, we're wondering how long before you bring this to an end, how long before you make it right. And Lord, uh, I thank you. Um, your word says that you are holding off your wrath for your name's sake. And I believe and I trust, Lord, that with that means is you want more children in your home. You want more of your people to come and receive and experience and thrive in the grace that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And so in the days that we have, Lord, however many that is, uh, we pray that you would give us the strength to hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. We pray that you would give us the courage to share that message by the way we live, the way we extend grace, the way we appreciate the identity that we have in Christ, the way that we live in a different way than this world, the way that we speak kindly but truthfully for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would use us somehow. Big ways, little ways, however you, you, uh, you plan and design it and orchestrate it, Lord, we pray that we would be ready, step into those opportunities and just be your witnesses, Lord. Use the truth of grace, but also the realization of wrath to spur us on urgently to do what we know that we ought to be doing. Living the way that we ought to be living, sharing, praying, studying, and just loving you and others. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what does a right relationship with God look like? What does it entail? What is it about? Um, I'm going to give you two particular things to think about.
1: First of all, Of love, you know, connection, fellowship, Uh, but before before there's that, there's there's a relationship. Terms of in relation to
0: position. Um, so, in relationship to you right now, I am in front of you. Okay, um, I am. positional uh, okay. relationship that when I recognize that He's God and I'm a creature, then that causes good cause me. To be humble, okay i I exalt him uh, in one sense because he is exalted that's i 'm just recognizing the truth of the reality that 's who he is it 's who I am positionally this is where he 's at and this is where i'm at but it's also a heart attitude to say that he is worthy and so we sang these songs that he's worthy of our honor and glory he's holy he's He's, uh, he, he's the, the creator of things that, uh, that I get to enjoy, and he's, he's the one who who um, has all the wisdom to be able to define how these things should come together. You know, after all these years, all these years of, of, of intellect and study and education and, and diving into the scientific, you know, uh, disciplines, We still know so little. You know, we could go on and on and on about how little we actually even know about the human brain, how it works, how much capability it has. And he he just made it with the power of, of his word. He just said, let it be. But never forget that his astoundingly un- incomprehensible intelligence designed it exactly the way that it, that it is with all its infinite detail he he had it all in mind and he spoke it into existence so there's a positional relationship that we have which should lead us into a a relationship of fellowship, of love, of connection, of desire, of I I want to know him. Um, I don't know everybody's testimony. Um, I know my testimony includes one significant coming realization. It was, he made me, so therefore he knows Who I am and should be better than I do,
1: I better get to know him. Initially, I came to a humble position of God. Want whatever it is that you have
0: for my life. Uh, he's the Creator. I'm I'm just a creature. And uh, as arrogant as as a 18, 19 year old as I was, <laughs> I, I at least had a, enough humility to say, I don't know. Me into a loving relationship. With him. I, don't, I, I don't know if that's your testimony. I don't know if that had anything to do with how you came to the Lord. But hopefully it. Does it have something to do with how you continue in the Lord. Amen. Even if it's just the realization that you come to this morning, He. he full potential. And only he can do that because of who he is and who you are. He's great. We are and I have to say that because I know there are people that think that Christians are deluded. Um, We believe in fairy tales and we're trying to pass the buck onto some spirit force that, and so we don't have to take any blame for our problems. Satan is a real enemy. He exists, he's finite, but he is powerful. He was created as probably the most beautiful, perhaps the most powerful. Created being in God's vast array and army of angels. Um, the scripture seems to indicate that he was perhaps the leader of worship in heaven. Um, what happened with Satan was that for whatever reason, he desired to be exalted. Exalted and have a throne equal to God's. Above God, maybe, but he wanted to at least be like God, worshiped like God. He wanted to have an equality with God. And so positionally, his pride destroyed his potential. He, he wanted something that is, is not possible, right? He wanted to be a god, and therefore he fell from his high position. If he could have uh, appreciated what a great creation that he had, he had been gifted, he could be leading worship in heaven now. But instead, he, he wanted more, and, and he wanted to dethrone God. So that was the fall of Satan, and then you see in Genesis chapter. Three, that he, um, his strategy is to bring human beings into the same delusion that he has. What does he say to Eve? You remember? God had told Adam, don't eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, Adam, we believe, told Eve this, and she has some understanding of it. Satan comes to her, and he says... um, you can eat this, right? She said, no, God said, no, I can't eat it or touch it. I can't, you know. And he says, well, well, here's the thing. This is Satan talking to Eve. God knows that when you eat it, you will be what? You remember? You will be like God. Now, Satan's lying, but it gets to the heart of what he, he wanted for himself. He wanted to be like God. And he brought in a lie, a delusion, a scheme, a trick to destroy humanity. Um, And the, the same lie is being perpetuated all these years later, continually. This is his scheme. You will be like God. You will be like God is idolatry. I want to be God of my own life. So, that's the strategy of Satan. Now, how it's been working out in the last, mm, what, 200 years, 150 years, is that uh, Satan will strike at our origin in order to destroy everything else. What does that mean? Um, when you uh, open your kids' textbooks uh, in your science classes from kindergarten all the way through college and every level, okay, what do they teach about where people came from? Do we have any schools that teach any other theory, creation, Or is every child being indoctrinated into a belief that sometime billions and millions and billions of years ago, there was no life, and then these chemicals that don't live um, somehow came together, and for whatever reason, lightning struck at just the right moment, maybe. I don't know. And this chemical became a living cell, an organism, that was now alive. And just think Frankenstein. Okay. That's, we're talking about such an irrational, illogical, and unscientific theory. Okay, What we know um, scientifically is that this is impossible. The laws of science tell us that life can only come from life. This is the law of biogenesis. It's a proven law. Atheistic evolution uh, teaches that virtually all the laws of science have to be suspended. And then once we get life, then maybe we can gear up our scientific laws again and see how things roll forward. Make sense? Scientific law tells us that if there was ever a time that there was nothing, ever, then there would never be anything. Does that make sense? If there was ever, of course, time is relative, but if there was ever a time where there was nothing, there, nothing could ever exist. So what we know scientifically is that for there to be anything, something, someone, has to exist eternally. The scripture teaches very clearly who that something is, how we came to be and all those things. Satan has so diligently and, um, I don't know, successfully uh, taught and and indoctrinated our, our whole culture into this understanding that evolution is... The smart thing to believe. Now, as Christians, see, uh, (laughs) you're not even going to hear creation from a lot of churches these days. Is is that mind-boggling? But it's true. Um, You'll hear evolution kind of weaved into the biblical story uh, a lot of times, even in Bible-believing churches. And I I think Satan loves that because here's what happens. If you don't have an origin that begins from a creator to a creature who is so infinitely knowledgeable and powerful that he creates life and sustains it and has a purpose for it, then all the other things uh, that we understand about what it means to be human fall apart. It's an acronym called OPID, O-P-I-D, Origin, God's creator, we're creatures. Identity or, or purpose, um, why are we here? So where do I come from? Why am I here? Identity, who am I And destiny? Where am I going? If you start with, I'm a grown-up germ, that's what evolution will teach you. You're a grown-up germ. You're just a bacteria that somehow became a person with a super computer brain, okay, your brain is more complex than any supercomputer that we have in existence today. Even still, you just developed out of this single cell that had nothing to eat. So a bunch of things would have to have become alive all at the same time for something to have anything else to eat. I, I don't quite understand the whole... Again, suspend the laws of science, and let's just keep moving forward. Who am or Where do I come from? Why am I here? If, you, if you're a grown-up germ, then you have no reason to be here. Nietzsche would have been correct, okay? It's just despair, and you might as well end your life. Or hedonism, live it up, just... Just do the best you can to enjoy what you got because, number one, you don't come from anything. Number two, you have no reason to be here in your identity. See, here's the thing. Why are we surprised that our culture is where it is right now? We've been teaching evolutionary, atheistic naturalism for how many decades? It stands to reason that our culture would be at a place right now, where there's no reason, logically, from an evolutionary standpoint, that you should be, um, you should be relegated to a gender, or a sexual orientation, or any moral law at all. Where would morals come from if we come from nothing? Why would there be morals? The only moral. Scientifically speaking, according to Darwin, is the survival of the fittest. You get what you want, and you trample anyone who gets in your way. And so this idea of a gender identity, who's to say? Who, Who possibly could tell you what you should or shouldn't be if there's no God? You're not created in his image, and there's no purpose in your life, and you're not going anywhere. There's no accountability. You're not going to be judged. You're just going to go into the ground, and your life will just be over. You'll be annihilated when your physical life is over. So where's where's the, the rationale or the reason to do anything moral on any level? So we're exactly where you would expect us to be if Satan was working behind the scenes the way that the Bible says that he is. Would you agree? In fact, we're probably not nearly as bad as we could be. And I think the only reason that we're not worse is because there are still... By God's grace, groups of people like this who have said, no, that's not true. That's not right. God is the the creator, and I'm going to have a right relationship with him through what he has said, which is what? Grace through faith. Faith. And here's what bothers me a lot about the the plan and the scheme of Satan is that it believing in God is so reasonable, it's so rational, it's so logical, and it's scientifically uh, foundational. And yet, because of Satan's hatred for God, he he probably does hate you and me, okay? I'm going to say he probably does really hate you and me, but he it, that's secondary. What he really hates is God, because God did not allow him, permit him to exalt his own throne. So everything that he's been doing has really been an in-your-face to God. And we are kind of caught in this trap, the scheme, and the lies, and we're trying to pull it all apart and figure out what, what, uh, what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false, what, you know, how do you live in this whole thing? And, and so let me just share with you this very simple plan that God has put forward. It is his revelation of who he is. He says, I am the beginning and the end. So in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth he's creator of all that exists everything that lives everything that doesn't live he everything that that is physical and spiritual he's he's the source of all of it he and so because of that he is worthy of our worship for no other reason there are a lot of other reasons but there's he's he's awesome in, in his power and his his intelligence and his holiness and his glory and all i mean so god is great man created in his image um you know that's an awesome thing do you think about that just the fact that you get to be a a person and not a rock (laughs) or a squirrel or a slug you're you're made in his image like that was a wonderful gift that he gave you. He says, I'm gonna make you in my image. But unfortunately, because of Satan's hatred for God, and because God is a creator who makes us in his image, he gives us the ability to choose him or not, then many people, because of sin, reject his plan of grace. So God is great, man is sinful, Jesus is the Redeemer, okay? Absolute truths. You take those things, okay. Uh, Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only sufficient sacrifice. Nothing else can can suffice to take away my sin. Just Jesus. That's God's plan. It makes sense if there's one God that he would have one plan. And it's Jesus. And so by grace, I can be saved if I receive that grace through faith. Amen? Pure doctrine. Now, what we talked about last week is if I reject that plan of grace, then God will allow me to uh, fall under the weight of my own sin. He'll allow that to cause so much pressure and despair in my life that eventually, hopefully, I still have an opportunity to turn and say, that's garbage, I need Jesus. Now, if I still, under the weight of that sin, do not turn to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation, then we come to the wrath. And what it is, is that grace is exhausted. He's offered it, the church has been preaching it, Christian people have been living under it and and with it and exuding it, I hope. But if man will not hear the message, respond to it, if if man will not even allow for the weight of sin to drive him to seek grace, then man has fallen into the same ugly personality as Satan, hating God, hating God and rejecting his plan and refusing to trust it. And this is what Revelation 16 points out. As God pours out the wrath, okay, there are seven bowls and there's um, seven different times where he's allowing for the uh, judgment to meet the sin. The, th- the first two are that the water will be turned to blood. And what he says is they, kingdom of darkness, basically drank the blood of the saints. You know, there's a war going on, a spiritual war. Satan is promoting and leading and inspiring the world to hate anyone who trusts Christ. And it's going to get worse, and they're going to kill and persecute. We've been so blessed in our country to not undergo the kind of persecution that is happening all over the world. It has been happening for a thousand, two thousand years. But it's there, and it's it's irrational. Why do people hate Christians so much? Why do they hate the Jews so much? I've never quite understood, except for only spiritually speaking. The wicked hate even the reminder of the righteous. So he gives them blood to drink. Um, he, but here's, here's what it says. Verse 9 says, they were scorched by the fierce heat. The sun has been given the power just to scorch and to burn. They cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Verse 11 says similar. They cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent. Uh, verse, uh, what, 21? Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven On people, and they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe that you see what's happening here. It's not, oh, we made a mistake. Uh, Maybe we should turn to God. It's, we hate God for this. It's not I didn't believe in God. Oh, what's going on? It's how dare you, God? I'm God. And and when they go to their judgment, they're not going to be oh man, I missed it. They're going to be furious that God would dare to judge them. Satan doesn't go to hell laughing or crying. He, He goes in a rage. And he wants to take as many of us, not us, human beings as he can but they will go in a rage too. And this is the, the power of grace and the wonderful thing about God's plan is that he is, does not want to judge this way. I don't believe he, that's, he takes any joy in it. He wants to bring as many children into his house as he possibly can. But he made you with a choice. He made you to be able to to understand, to choose, and to believe, or to reject it. And he says, very simply, you have two opportunities. You can be judged under grace, which means that all the judgment fell on Jesus on the cross, and you have only forgiveness and eternal life. You can, you can be judged under grace, or you can be judged under the law. How many of you know that nobody is going to do well being judged under the law? You, you break one law, you broke them all. You want to be judged under the law? That's what they're saying. When they reject grace, they're saying, judge me under the law. And how often have we heard that lie over and over and over? Well, my... I have all these good deeds and I have all these bad deeds and God's just going to do a nice little math problem and subtract my bad deeds from my good deeds and whatever's left over, then I'll get in. How many of you know that if you commit one murder, you're a murderer? I mean, I've said this before, but I mean, there's lots of people I didn't kill. (laughs) You think the judge is like, yeah, look at all those annoying people that are still alive. Good job. <laughs> Being judged under the law is, uh, is not a joke. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not preferable. That's why he gave us grace through Jesus Christ. And so he's got no choice what he has to do. Because for justice sake, those who are raging against him, who have denied their purpose in this world, if their design, and said, I don't want that. There's no other option for them other than to be cast into the lake of fire. It's not a mean thing. It's not God's doing it because he's gleefully looking forward to taking out his revenge on anyone. He, he I believe, is sorely saddened and disappointed and beside himself with grief because you have a better option amen and so as a believer okay I don't want to drag this out too much but I just want to tell you um, do you understand what a wonderful gift to grace is do you understand how valuable a right relationship with God is he He loves you, and you get to love him knowingly. And you know how urgent it is to live that testimony because there are many people who could come to Christ if they just had their eyes opened. Amen? That's why we're here, because eternity is coming and it's long And we have people that we love, people that we're related to, people we work with, that we want to invite into the kingdom. Amen? Father, we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would take each and every life here and use it as a witness, a testimony, and a great light for our homes, for our workplaces, for our schools, for our community, God, that you would raise up people that love you, Lord. And maybe that's the best and the only necessary way to define it, Lord. We, we are people who have recognized that we are loved and we have responded by loving you back. And Lord, I, I pray that we would dive deep into that relationship that we would dwell in your word, that we would spend time praying, not just to get things, but simply to know you, just to lay down our burdens, our concerns, our cares, to lift up others around us, to intercede, to just dwell in your presence, God. What a gift to appreciate grace, And Lord, we pray that you would take every opportunity that we have and fill it with your presence, Lord. We pray that you would, we know that you will, but we're asking that you would come alongside of us, Lord, that you would be there with us, before us, and behind us, that you would surround us wherever we go, that uh, every conversation could be redeemed, inspired, um, every every moment that we're on this earth, Lord, that we would exude the grace that we've been given. And God, we pray if anyone here today has not uh, received grace, have not reached out in faith and accepted what Jesus did for them, Lord, I pray that you would call their name, whisper it, to their heart, that you are inviting them to know you. Build your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand and sing.